Hi, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of The Red-Headed Preacher. I'm Richard Lanford, the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. St. Peter's is the only United Church of Christ in Niles Township, and we are an open and affirming congregation. Before going further, I'm going to invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Holy God, your word spans millennia, but it's alive and it speaks to us today, wherever we are. So we pray that you will speak to us in what we're about to listen to and the thoughts that go on inside us in reaction. Those can be ways you speak to us as well. So for this inspiration, we pray in the name of Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. Today, these scriptures that will be read by our elector, Barb Todd, are from Romans 8, verses 12 through 25, and the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, and the exact verses uh, skip my memory right now, but she'll announce them. I think they're 23 through 30 and 36 to 47 or something like that. The title of the sermon, and it is a sermon, is The Hard Work Before the Harvest. And now, let's hear Barb Todd. Our first reading is that epistle reading I quoted from. It is Romans 8, verses 12 through 25. Paul has already written that as we are free from the power of sin and death, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit dwelling within us, and we are to walk in the ways of the Spirit. Now he moves into writing about how we are now children of God, and the hope we have of future fulfillment. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here ends our reading from Romans. Our second lesson is the Gospel, according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and verses 36 through 43. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Well, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, he would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of the fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. Here ends the reading of Matthew and our scriptures for today's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this God's holy word. Our worship continues with a musical meditation by our music director, Ben Westfall. He is on vacation right now, but has pre-recorded his submissions for this service. Thank you, Ben, wherever you are. Is that okay? I can't listen to you. I think that, like,
you're better than me and I'm better than everybody else. <laughs> you're so um, Thank you. Thank you. I hope it translates. What are some that theatrical flair does? The what? The theatrical flair. <laughs> If we were gathered together, I might ask for a show of hands in answer to this question. Have you ever unfriended anybody on Facebook? Have you ever been unfriended? Do you even know if you've been unfriended or blocked? Well, I did block someone many years ago and unfriended one or two persons for sure. And then there are those you can unfollow without unfriending. I've done that at least once, too. You? This came to mind when reading a post from one of my friends from public school. And also we, you know, through graduation. Last week, he lamented, I thought it wasn't so but I'm still capable of being mildly depressed by Facebook. An old friend of mine defriended me today. That's not really what's bothering me, but the reason for it vexes. The person is not a bad person, but in the course of a discussion thread, said person posted a piece of, and now the word he used is spelled H-O-A-R-Y, posted a piece of hoary, old, anti-Semitic garbage about 13 families that rule the world. I have not researched it, but I support the list is at least 100 years old. It includes the Rothschilds, which is a tip-off. It's been around for a while. I tried to gently tell the person that it was old, anti-Semitic garbage. Later, I sent the person an IM saying that, you know, they ought to be careful about what they post here because Facebook is finally taking a few small steps to curb hate speech on the platform. Of course, they reacted with hurt and told me I was programmed before blocking me. A member of the church engaged in a political post-share conversation and at the end was told by the strongly disagreeing respondent, I don't expect you'll know what I'm talking about. You're indoctrinated. My seminary friend and colleague, Reverend Howard Boswell, rarely posts political observations taking a side, but he does rarely, later to lament that he had been unfriended by others, one or two friends, because of what he had written. And if you knew Howard, he's careful. That's just Facebook. The news media itself has its biases, some more obvious than others, and some of the personalities with their editorial views are quite combative. I have little doubt that they fan the flames of disagreement, distrust, anger, charges of people who believe oppositely to be programmed, or indoctrinated, how dismissive can you get? Hatred fanning the flames of hatred, even unto sometimes violence.
A tendency has become entrenched where, let's say, I think I'm right most of the time. And those who pretty much think like I do are right most of the time. And whoever all is on the other side of the partisan divide are wrong. You've been programmed. Your favorite media lie to you, but not mine. What or who you stand for, then, is dumb or evil, so you support that and therefore the demise of America. Now, this dynamic has been labeled tribal. Labeled tribal, it is labeling. When you label something or someone, most of the time, then, you can refuse to deal with him, her, or them because you've labeled them. You know, you've done your, okay, don't need, I'll keep on moving. You've decided, or I've decided, they're no good, they're never going to change, and there's no having a civil, respectful conversation with them, so do not even try. We or I am right and righteous. He, she, or they are wrong, or dumb, or wicked. And you or I have our reasons at the ready. Unless, of course, we carefully, patiently, skillfully, and often very wisely avoid any such conversations in the service of peace and love. I do that with members of my family. I almost ne- I never post partisan things on Facebook, and I rarely make comments other than like something one of my friends posts in that realm. But, you know, there are some exceptions. For the most revealing I got lately was when I shared a post from a colleague in the wake of the anti-racism protests, and what I shared was a sign that said, white people, do something. And that picture was actually a link to a list of 75 things one can do to be an active anti-racist. And then somebody shared with my page this animated video that I mentioned in last week's sermon about redlining and the fruits or the bitter fruits of that. But I totally get the demonization of those who cling to different ideas than my tribe. And in a lot of what I hear or read and see, I do mean that we could demonize those we cast in the opposition to what we believe. So what's a Christian to do? Avoid the topics altogether? But, and, and there is a time I talked about wisdom, and sometimes we need to skillfully avoid, avoid some conversations. But do we not stand for something? Love of God, love of neighbor, helping the marginalized, Matthew 25, seeking justice, Luke 4 and the prophets, being good stewards of all God has given us, Genesis 1 through 3, sharing the teachings of Jesus, go therefore to all nations, teaching them to observe, and more, yes. And I know very well that what I mean by doing justice, and being a good steward, and what you or someone else in the church may mean by those words can be different things. We differ on interpretations. And then we usually live and let live unless significant decisions are made and one interpretation carries the day. But still, we, as a family and a church, we keep going together. We're in covenant. That's part of what that means.
But going back to my first question, what's a Christian to do on this powder keg of divisiveness and animosity? If I see myself as wheat in Jesus' parable, and somebody who disagrees profoundly with me and angrily are the weeds, and the reverse is true for them, I'm the weeds. How do we live out our faith with what understanding that I just acknowledge that we have different understandings at times? Well, this is what Jesus said to do when we, believing ourselves to be wheat or able to judge who is wheat, which are side by side with weeds, while, which someone argues should be yanked out of the field, he said in the parable. But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together. Until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. God's will is for the wheat and the weeds to grow together for a season. When gathering the weeds, well, one would uproot the wheat along with them, at least some of it. They looked a lot alike, wheat and weeds, especially for the first three months of growth. I note Jesus' concern for the wheat, children of the kingdom, who could die in an attempt to figure out who's what and yank out the weeds. And then they're pulled out. And below the soil where the roots are, they're probably, I figure, they're intertwined. But who hasn't pulled out weeds in your yard, if you have a yard? Who hasn't pulled weeds in your, 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 your yard and not also pulled up some grass? Jesus is concerned about the wheat being able to coexist alongside the weeds, that the wheat may mature until harvest, when the reapers, and not at our command, will harvest the wheat. It is a teaching about coexistence. While we are here, as one commentary said, the wheat, the children of the kingdom, need only be wheat, good wheat. Reaping, judging, and burning will come later. God's got this. We, as children of the kingdom, do not need to get into the reaping, judging, and burning business. So I thought some about what these passages and what this passage can tell us in our time and place. First, I see this parable as a call to humility. I know the pull to be convinced about my political, socioeconomic, and cultural views, especially when I can find Bible passages to back me up. I know the feeling of righteous indignation. I've even expressed it from the pulpit from time to time. I'm acquainted with the judgmental spirit which allows me to demonize, if you will, those I think are not acting in the best interest of the country or the state or the world. Remember, when Jesus said, he, when Jesus explained the parable, the field is the world. Martin Luther, before he came back to the Diet of Worms to defend his writings by saying, here I stand, I can do no other. The day before that, he said, give me a day to think about And he had asked himself, are you alone right? 
So are you or I for sure right? Do we know all we need to know before taking a stand, maybe alienating someone we do not have to? Sometimes you or I are wrong. Humility reminds us of that. It may be in a small way, it may be in a big way, but we are all human and accountable. So let's be humble. I am not saying do nothing out of your beliefs. You know me better than that. I'm not saying there is no urgency. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that when we want to take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye, first we better take the freaking log that is sticking out of our eye first. Then we can see clearly to take the speck out of his, hers, or theirs. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together. While being good wheat, there is activity to be done and there is urgency to some of those activities. As I said, going back to the church, the church should and does stand for things like love, peace, justice, the salvation of souls, and the care for the earth. But the church is not always right on every stand the church has taken. For example, a lot of white churches didn't do much to push back against slavery. They weren't all monolithically organized as abolitionists. White churches rarely did a lot to uh, push back against Jim Crow laws or segregation, the oppression of women throughout history, and abusive labor practices. Silence can equal consent, which can equal death. Our churches have been complicit, whether we know it or not, benefiting from some of the systems at play. So of all people who love to take the moral high ground and should, with all humility, we need to take a cold shower of that humility. I have said that Christians and churches are not to be on the sidelines because the Lord Jesus Christ is not on the sidelines. We do stand for kingdom Love God and your neighbor and even your enemy values. But we have to coexist in this world, and that means being humble, both personally and institutionally. Am I really wheat? Or do I just feel good telling myself that? Do I have the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit that Barb read about the Spirit testifying with our spirit that we are children of God? The Pharisees, you know, they thought they knew the law and the will of God. They crucified Jesus out of their conviction that they were the wheat. Yet Jesus said they were not children of God. I won't say the strong language he posed to them. So again, it's a call to humility. To coexist before the harvest, we need to check our judgmental spirit if we have any. Do an honest inventory of ourselves and be humble. That can be hard work. So the title of the sermon is The Hard Work Before the Harvest. Another piece of guidance the Bible gives us is to trust God. And sometimes that's hard work. Trust that God is very aware of what's going on, who are the wheat and the weeds, and that ultimately the harvest shall come. Trust in the providence of God. 
that God will provide for and lead the children of God, whoever, wherever, and whenever they are. It does not mean there are no prices to pay for doing and saying what is right in the word. It does not mean you or I will not make grievous mistakes. But it does mean that God will take care of the people of God in the end. It's not the weeds that get to go into the kingdom's barns. But we have to trust that God does have this. Believe then that the good works you do because of your faith and your compassion will be rewarded, despite what others say or do to you. Dick, Jane, Curly, and Moe may unfriend you, but God will not. The parable makes it clear that God is in charge while we weeds and wheat, good and evil, grow together almost identical to each other, at least for a while, and God is in charge over the end when the weeds are removed from the wheat. God will decide and make the make distinctions, and God will vindicate and validate loving works done in Christ's name, especially when we do them unselfconsciously. Matthew 25. So let us not be afraid of those who speak or act sharply against us. Let us not be afraid to do what we think Jesus would have us do during, say, the great mask wars, the debates over systemic racism, over political office holders and their policies. But let us do what we do with humility and with faith in God's overarching purpose and providence. God's got this. Let us keep that perspective. God's got this. A call to humility will help all of us coexist. A call to trust God that there will one day be some kind of harvest, even as the weeds and the wheat have grown up together all these years. And lastly, for this morning, I borrow some of Paul's teaching. He urges believers to claim that we as God's children are led by the Holy Spirit. We heard Barb read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. We know the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, it's not hope. For who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, what I'm after here is that wheat and weeds before the harvest not only will coexist better with humility and with renewed belief in the big picture and power of God, but also by being led by God's spirit and not by fear. Lots of what animates the divide between people is about fear. Fear that what one believes to be truth with a capital T might be taken away. Fear that what one believes, uh, fear of persons who talk about racism and trying to change unjust systems might feel threatening. Fear of losing what you or I have. 
Fear of who will be in the White House or Senate next year or who won't be. Fear of the appointment of judges who are against or in favor of these rights or the other rights. That's related to what we hold as truth. And fear of the virus and our economy's uncertain future. There are a lot of fears that divide people and then, as I said, animate the divide. Brings it alive. Paul says, and with this I close, children, do not fall back into being slaves of fear, but be led by the Spirit. God, who is our victorious source of hope. It's not seen now. That's why it's called hope. Let us not be guided by our fears, but by hope. And as Paul ended, with patience. Wait for the harvest with patience. Humbly, and with big trust in providence and love. Meet fear with love, for perfect love casts out fear, First John. And that means we are led by the Spirit. And that's very good news. Amen. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Redheaded Preacher for the service, the virtual service, for Sunday, July 19th. The next two services, or I should say the next two weekends, the Sundays for July 26th, and August 2nd, I will be on vacation, and as these uh, messages usually are on my telephone, recorded on my cell phone, that phone won't be available. So unless uh, the recorder of our services and the publisher of our podcasts get together so that you can receive the scriptures and the message, minus perhaps an intro and outro, you may still have the Reverend Catherine Watkins and the Reverend Brittany Kane Conley bringing you messages. Otherwise, the next time uh, you'll be listening to my voice uh, bringing a message will be Sunday, or for Sunday, August 16th. Thanks once again, and God bless your week.